Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. So we are continuing our way through the Apostles' Creed. Last week, we spoke about forgiveness of sins. We talked about how sin as our common human problem. It's something that we all suffer from. We talked about sin kind of as an infection that's disordered all creation and all humanity. And then we also talked a little bit about sin as as something we do. We also talked about how we acknowledge our sin, we confess our sin, and we receive forgiveness of our sin. Uh, We receive God's freely given forgiveness. And so today, we have at last come to it, brothers and sisters, the end of our journey through the Apostles' Creed. Today, we put the capstone on what's been for me a personally and spiritually rewarding series, and I, I hope all of you took something from it as well. And if you've missed any of this series, I think this is part 14. Go back to our SoundCloud page, Zion Stone United Church of Christ, or to our iTunes podcast page, Zion Stone United Church of Christ, and you can listen to uh, all of those in the series if you've you've missed them, uh, because today is the final, final, final one. We're going to talk about what it means when we confess that we believe in the resurrection and that we believe in eternal life. When I was younger, I remember reading a book by a man who claimed that when he was a little boy, he had been taken up to heaven when he was eight years old. Now, books like this are very popular today. You can go to your Barnes & Noble or, well, not Hackman's because they're closed now, but a Christian bookstore, and uh, you can see books like this all the time. This book was, was preceded a lot of those. It was written in the 80s. But there's so many of these books now that, that they even have a phrase now for it. It's its own genre called Heaven's Tourism. It's been coined to kind of describe these, these sorts of books. Unfortunately, some of these people have come out and said that the claims they have made were invented. But regardless, these books have very vivid imagery, and they appeal to a lot of people. And this particular one that I remember reading when I was much younger had some very vivid, vivid imagery. It's kind of set fire to my little brain. I remember the author, he described grass, and when stepped on, would bounce right back up instead of being crushed. And in one, in one really macabre scene, he described a warehouse, and in this warehouse were limbs and eyes and ears and legs and fingers and toes. And he asked, Jesus was giving him a tour, and he asked Jesus, well, why are, what's with this weird warehouse with all of these body parts? And Jesus said that these body parts are there for people who had no understanding that they could be given them on earth if they had enough faith to be, to be healed, not just something that's awaiting them in heaven when they, when they get there. Brothers and sisters, stories like this tend to be hokum of the deepest sort. But the reason why this book and many others like it are popular is because they attempt to address a question that every single human being at one point or another has to ask themselves. Namely, is there something after I die. What happens after that? And the way one answers this question 
It's going to be different for everybody sometimes. Some see life on earth as one and done. Once you die, your brain stops working, your heart stops, you cease to exist, you are put into the ground, and that's it. There's nothing else. Others believe in an afterlife where the deceased ascend into heaven and become angels. There's really nothing in Scripture to suggest this. And St. Paul himself reminds the church, he says, Remember, brothers and sisters, that one day you will judge angels. And, and for me, the fact that pretty much most religions have some concept of an afterlife, even if it's a different type of, of life after life after life, working off a karmic debt until one of them's absorbed into the nothingness of everything, it shows then that it wouldn't be a stretch to say that maybe those in years past were right, that there is something indeed beyond us, beyond our senses, beyond our immediate experience. And the Apostles' Creed, brothers and sisters, has something to say about this. A statement that they make in two short sentences that summarize some important points. And those two things are the dead will be raised and that we will live forever. It doesn't quite break down in the creed how this looks like or how it even works. But the one thing is for certain that as Christians, we need a fully formed scriptural image of what eternal resurrected life is and what it looks like. We need some sort of antidote to these heaven tourism books because they appeal to us and, and they're designed to appeal us because we want surety. We want a description. We as human beings, that's kind of our thing, right? We want to know. We want to know. And reading books like this give comfort to some people. But I think that we need to turn a little bit more to scripture in the in the tradition of the church to see what, what we're really talking about here, about what it means to be resurrected and to live forever. One of my favorite theologians named N.T. Wright, he wrote this, God's people are promised a new type of bodily existence, the fulfillment and redemption of our present bodily life. And so it's to this we now turn. One of the things that he's known for in his excellent discussion on the resurrection, I recommend all of his books, by the way, is the phrase, he calls this life after life after death. And this is especially poignant for us, brothers and sisters. We often focus on this after a funeral, but we don't necessarily focus on what comes after the funeral, right? It's also worth noting that the idea of going to heaven when we die is the last thing to happen to us, that this isn't kind of, this isn't quite right. What's happened, brothers and sisters, is this, is that our faith, to make it easier to communicate, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with this, but we have to understand that it, we need to have a fully formed faith. So in order to make the gospel more presentable or more, not more relatable, but to make it easier to tell people about, the gospel has been reduced from the richness of the picture that we see to when you die, you go to heaven if you, if you accept Jesus, and if you don't accept Jesus, you die and go to hell. And that makes, brothers and sisters, from some, for some really, really great sermons, right? Some, have you ever been to, like, to a revivalist meeting? And heard, like, there's preachers who can just take that concept and for like an hour just preach on that. You know, there's a Puritan preacher named Jonathan Edwards way back in the day. And Jonathan Edwards has this very famous sermon, right? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And if you go back and read it, it is scary. If they made it into a horror movie, it would win, like, all of the awards for scary... I don't know if they have Oscars for scariest movies, but if they had horror Oscars, he would probably win that, right? The whole thing is, you're on the edge of the cliff, you're dangling from a string, and the scissors are there, and the sword is there, and the only thing that's keeping you from falling into the fire... It's really intense. It's really intense. But brothers and sisters, reducing the gospel to going to heaven when we die 
is not a fully formed picture of what the scripture has to teach us about life after life after death. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13-18, St. Paul writes this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that's those who have died, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left unto the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord will himself descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So will we always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So notice here in this reading from 1 Thessalonians, Paul wants them to know something that's going to happen. He gives them a little bit of a description about what they expect. And we find in 2 Thessalonians that people have been sending them fake letters, right? Fake news. They've been sending them letters from Paul, not really from Paul, pretending to be Paul, saying that this had already occurred and it scared them. So this is an ongoing problem for them. This information, notice here it says that you will not, that you will grieve like those who, that you won't grieve like those who don't have hope. Now notice here, St. Paul says, he doesn't say, don't grieve. He doesn't say don't grieve, and it reminds me, I'm a nerd, and everything reminds me of Lord of the Rings. So at the very end, spoiler alert, of Lord of the Rings, Frodo's about to get on the boat, and he's about to leave for the undying lands with, with the elves and with Gandalf, and Gandalf is comforting those they're leaving behind. And one of the things Gandalf says to them, he says, he says they're, they're crying, and he essentially is like, it's okay. He says, not all tears are, not all tears are evil. And I kind of think about this when I read this, because we as Christians... We still grieve because we're human beings, but we grieve with hope. We grieve with hope. This is why for me, and this is just for me, that funeral services and funeral rites that don't give people the opportunity to grieve, I don't understand that personally because it is good to celebrate life and it is good to honor the person, but we also have to remember that grief is part of the process. But for us, as Christians, we don't grieve without hope because the hope of the resurrection makes our grief not just manageable, but eventually will transform it to something else. And so St. Paul says, just like Jesus died and rose again, so will those who have died in faith in him. And then it says, the Lord will descend and with a cry of command, you know, we just read it in the dead and Christ will rise and those who are alive will be caught up and meet him in the air. Now, brothers and sisters, this is not speaking of the rapture, Okay. This scripture is used to, to defend that idea. We're not going to talk about that today. But understand that that's not, what the, that's not what's going on here. This scripture is meant to be an encouragement. So when we take away, what we take away from this is that those who are alive now and those who have died, we will all meet together at the summoning of Jesus Christ. So now let's look at St. Paul's word of the Corinthians. <clears throat> but some will say, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some type of grain. But God gives a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for human, for animals, for birds, for fish. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown 
natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there will also be a spiritual body. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. There's a lot to unpack here, and we don't have time to do everything, so we're going to be a little picky with what we take away from this text today. The important thing to note right from the start is St. Paul has a lot to say about the body. A lot to say about the body. In fact, one of the things to take from this text, one of the big takeaways, is that the resurrection is a bodily resurrection. Now, this is important because one of the great myths that even Christians believe is that the body doesn't matter, right? That your body is like a spacesuit that your spirit wears to kind of bounce around during life, right? And then the goal of living, right, the goal of life is to one day get out of this body so we can finally be free, Now, that's not necessarily Christianity, because in that point of view, the body is is bad. But Christianity has always affirmed that the body is good, that the body is good. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor Mike, but he says here that the natural body and the spiritual body, and we know that the spiritual means incorporeal and natural physical means something solid we can touch, feel, or see. So he is talking about getting rid of the body. Not necessarily. This is where N.T. writes a little bit helpful again. So what he does is, in his, is he makes a great case for this. He says, when St. Paul here talks about the natural or the physical body or the spiritual body, the words indicate not the material out of what we're made of, right? But when he uses natural or physical and spiritual, he's talking about the power or the energy that animates those things. Are you with me? I'll take that as a Yes. Yeah, Isaac, Isaac understands. Isaac understands. Hey, buddy. Yay. I love that. So when Paul says natural body or spiritual body, he's not talking about something that's solid or something you can put your hands through, like, you know, Casper going through a wall or something like that. He's talking about the energy or the force or the power that gives life that lives through those things, Okay. So when we read these passages then, we have to understand this, that we are given a fuller vision of what resurrected eternal life means. It means that we will continue to be embodied beings, right? The problem isn't that our body is bad and our spirit is good, so we need to leave the body behind. Our bodies will be animated by the very life of God. He has already given us life in his image, and through salvation in Jesus Christ. But the fullness of that image is restored at the resurrection when what is perishable becomes imperishable. In other words, this is this. We are reunited, essentially, with our bodies, right? And they then become free from decay and corruption and every effect that sin has had on humanity. So imagine this as much as we can. Free from the ravages of age, no more getting exhausted, no more losing memory, no more having your sight or hearing get worse. We are... We are promised an embodied resurrection, free from everything that makes us break down. I don't like to admit this, but I can't run as long or as far as I could when I was in my 20s. Part of it was because I was in a lot better shape in my 20s. 
But as we get older, we start, our bodies are perishable. They start to break down slowly and over time. But what the scriptures are telling us is, is that what awaits us isn't an escape, right? But the reanimating, the renewing of our bodies, free from all of the effects of sin and of death. Death. In a sense, we are becoming more human because our true humanity is found in the God-man, Jesus Christ. And our resurrected body is based off of his. And this idea of what it will be like is demonstrated by him. So we are then called to enjoy life with God forever on a renewed earth that heaven itself has joined itself to. This is hard to imagine and beyond our wildest dreams, but listen to how St. John describes this in Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as he is their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Listen to this. For the former things have passed away. There is no more mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away away. We are brothers and sisters, and this boggles our mind, boggles our imagination that our bodies will be renewed, they will be restored, and they will conform to what Christ's resurrected body is. This is what we are promised as Christians, and this, brothers and sisters, is our great hope. Not going to heaven when we die, but the fullness of what Scripture is showing us is resurrection and eternal life with God forever with God forever. This beautiful picture of heaven and earth joining together and all of the former things, sin and death, will be passed away and we will be with God forever. St. John Chrysostom said, for why did Jesus at all pull down his house, his body, except that he were about to build it more glorious, right? And brothers and sisters, that's what await us. Using this language, like this imagery of St. Paul did in Corinthians, he, he uses this example of a seed, right? What happens when the seed goes into the ground? It dies, and then what happens? It opens, and then what comes out from that seed? It's not a trick question. When you plant a seed, what comes out of that seed? If you water and tend it, it grows. A plant or a tree or whatever it is that you planted, it, the seed has to go and die first before new life can come. And that's kind of like what our bodies are. We are essentially like seeds. As we are sown into the ground like seeds, they will one day become glorious, reflecting the light of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is good news for us, brothers and sisters. This is a fully, a more fully fledged, a more fully orbed description of what eternal life, resurrected life is. That when we die, we are in heaven, right? We do die and we go to heaven. and We are with Christ in comfort and in peace with him and the departed saints of, the, of, of years past. We are together with him in heaven. But that's not the end of the story. We don't put a period there because like Bishop Rice says, there's life after that. There's life after, life after death. So you might be sitting here and thinking, 
well, why did we do this series? Why did we preach through the Apostles' Creed? Why did you spend all of this time going through this, the, the ancient creed and teaching us from it when we could have been talking about a ton of other things uh, through the, the lectionary, through Pentecost? And the, one of the, the main takeaways from this, brothers and sisters, is that our faith declares a few things, right? Our faith asks us to believe a few things. It asks us to stand on a few things. And so what the creed does is it has laid these things out for us, not so we can divide ourselves, but that we can be united with other Christians who believe and confess and affirm the same thing. And it helps us, it guides us as individual believers in our daily lives, in our personal lives. When we're not here at church hearing about these things, it helps shape us as Christians. It gives form to what we believe because what we believe then plays itself out in how we live and then how we live is a witness and a testimony to what God has done in Christ in us and through us. So these are not dry dogmas. These are not dry doctrines that we have to have a checklist and put a little check mark next to them. I believe that. 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 Sweet. I'm in. No, what these, these beautiful truths do is they show us what God has done for us and awakens in us, brothers and sisters, and our response to God's call. Our response to follow and to love and to serve Jesus Christ and how that plays itself out in everything that we do, who we talk to, how we talk to people, online, in person, at work, at church, at home. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> right? This forms who we are, how we live, that the love of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that that love then is something that we take and we share with others. Because we have these beautiful truths and these beautiful promises, it gives us hope to press on as Christians. It gives our faith something to rest in, that God has loved us so much that he has sent his son to free us, to save us from sin and from death. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father, who is from everlasting, and his all holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you, and we hope to have you visit us in the near future.